We are continuing our Advent series through the book of, or through, with a theme of darkness and light today in the book of Isaiah, using Isaiah chapter 9. Usually we go to verse 6 in Christmas, but today we're going to stick with, start with verse 2. So Isaiah writes in chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's begin with asking God to shine His light into our hearts. Father, You know the darkness that has pressed in all around us these last months, the darkness that presses in on my family even this week, the darkness that strikes fear into the hearts of my brothers and sisters as they struggle through their various trials. But even now, as I struggled to sleep last night, unable to escape the despair of my own introspection, these brothers and sisters have lifted my soul, lifted my chin, lifted my eyes to look to Christ. Through their songs, through their praise, through their joy, through their hopeful faces, I thank you that Your Spirit is with us today. And I pray Your Spirit will now guide Your Word that I could return the favor and shine light back onto them to send them into the darkness to shine Your light for all to see. Glory to our King Jesus. Amen. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark, as many of you children might be, but I was not only afraid of the dark, I was also afraid of the light. Not, not really afraid to walk around in broad daylight, but I was afraid of what the light in the darkness would reveal. My bedroom was in the basement, which was mostly an unfinished basement. So if I woke up in the middle of the night and had to go to the bathroom, I had to walk through this danky, creepy basement go up these unfinished stairs on my way to the bathroom, and I was afraid around every corner who would jump out and grab me, or every step on my way up, who would reach through and grab my ankles. You'd think that if I just turned the light on, I would realize that there was nothing to be afraid of. But my mind had convinced me, convinced me that turning the lights on would only confirm my fears. That if I turn the lights on, there really would be a monster there. And so I convinced myself that it was safer for me to leave the lights off and feel my way around in the dark, believing I was safer in my ignorance, which actually made me more vulnerable to harm. This is how we all naturally live in this world. Despite the sun shining on us in the bright blue sky every day and the amazing ability to come along and flip a switch and shine light into our darkness, 
We all live in a very dark world. This reality is confirmed by the presence of so much contradictory information that we get every single day. It's as though everybody's just walking around, feeling their way through the darkness, trying to find what is right. But we've all gotten so comfortable living these lives in the darkness that we're afraid to turn on the light. We're afraid to find out how scary this world really is or what others will think of us as we stand in the light. We're afraid to find out that maybe we don't have as much control as we, really, as we think we do. So we keep the lights off, feeling our way around in the dark and affirming everybody else in the dark that they are just fine. But we were made to live in the light. The light sure, surely will expose many sinister adversaries. But it's the light that illuminates the path to safety. Without the light, we're just putting ourselves in greater harm's way. It may make us uncomfortable at times, but it is the only way we will be able to together navigate safely to the promised land of light where we dwell in the glory of God. This is the story that Isaiah tells with the same contrast of darkness and light. Jake introduced this wonderfully for us last week, starting in the book of Genesis and taking us through Revelation to show us the theme of darkness and light through the whole Bible. And Isaiah has often been called a miniature version of the Bible. He picks up on a lot of the same themes and tells the same story, working its way from sin and judgment and exile towards salvation, hope, an exodus to a new creation. And so we're going to take a look at that same imagery of darkness and light in the book of Isaiah to see how he tells the same story. And Isaiah is pleading with us here to recognize the darkness around you and run in the light. He sees how utterly lost this world is when God shines the light on him. He realizes that in the darkness, everything is backwards or flipped upside down, and he looks forward. He longs for the day when God shines his light fully into this world and redeems all things, filling the earth with his glory. The circumstances may be a bit different between Israel thousands of years ago and us today, but the call is the same. Recognize the darkness and run in the light. Our outline is just going to have that same contrast, darkness and light. First, we'll dive into the experience of living in the darkness of this world. What does Isaiah say living in a world of darkness looks like? And then, from Isaiah's new transformed perspective, we'll see how we escape the darkness by being transformed by the light, the light of a wonderful world to come. So let's just jump back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, our primary text, and we'll start there to help us recognize how we are living in darkness. He says again, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So we're looking at these people who are Dwelling in deep darkness. What imagery pops into your mind when you think of a dark world? 
We often think of difficult times in our lives or someone that we know who might be suffering. There are times in my life, various years that I can point to that I refer to as dark years because they were so filled with trial. Many of us might call 2020 a dark year. Now, that's not really what Isaiah has in mind. He's not just talking about dark moments or pockets of darkness or seasons of darkness just when bad things happen. He's saying that the entire earth is darkness. Even the good things the world does are darkness. All of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, he says. All of the words that Isaiah uses to speak of shadows and darkness and death and light are right there back in Genesis 1 when Jake was preparing us for this theme of darkness. What Isaiah is painting for us is a picture of an uncreation, that dark, formless void of a creation before God spoke light into the world. It had no shape. It had no purpose. Sure, the water was sloshing around, probably according to laws of physics, but it had no meaning. It was all for nothing. And in this world, sure, there are people out there doing work that they think is good and building things, but it's not for the purpose God designed them for when He spoke light into the world. And Jake dropped this profound little nugget that just sent me my heart reeling with excitement that helps us understand this vital relationship between darkness and light in the Bible. He said, on this side of Genesis 1, darkness throughout the Bible represents the undoing of creation. Sin, idolatry, pride, lawlessness. All of these things undo creation, reverting us backward towards being that formless void. Moses makes this argument, warns Israel before they enter into the promised land in Deuteronomy 4. He tells them, do not worship idols. Do not worship animals or people or the sun, moon, and stars. And the way he does it, he explains it backwards from creation to say, when you do that, you are unraveling creation. That's not what we were made for. Humanity was, is the pinnacle of creation made to reflect God's glory into the world. And idolatry, false worship, is putting that glory somewhere else. Making something else God's image bearer. Saying that God is no different than His creation. But So by the time Isaiah comes around now, Israel has not heeded that warning from Moses. They've given into idolatry. They've fallen back into an undone creation. And Isaiah looks around and it's dark everywhere. He says in chapter 5, verse 20, that what he says, what God says is light, they consider darkness. What they think, what God says is darkness, they consider light. Sweet is bitter, bitter is sweet, good is evil, evil is good. It's all backwards in the darkness. Everyone's just feeling their way around trying to define what is good and right and they can't see God's light. Throughout the book, he highlights how Israel thinks they're prosperous. They boast in their prosperity and he 
Then he says, look at the poverty everywhere. They think they're a people of the law, but injustice abounds, or injustice, that too. Their religious practices, sure, they go to their temple and offer sacrifices, but they're all empty rituals. They believe themselves to be safe in their fortress in the mountain, but they have no idea that a large foreign army is on its way to destroy them. They feel safe in the dark, but they are in much more danger than they realize. And before Isaiah gets to the hope found in our text in chapter 9, something really vital needs to be made clear to him in chapter 6. Isaiah has this beautiful vision of God in his throne room. The scene is incredible. Isaiah is picked up out of the land of darkness and ushered into God's presence in his glorious, blinding splendor of the heavenly throne room. It's so bright that the seraphs, the word seraph means flaming ones, that they have to cover their eyes with their wings. God's glory is so bright. And they cry out in a unified song, Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of His glory. Did you catch that? The whole earth is full of God's bright majesty. His light is everywhere on earth. Yet, Isaiah has been telling us that there's darkness everywhere. How can that be? What's going on? The following verses explain when Isaiah instantly realizes that he's in big trouble. The reason he can't see God's glory is because of his sin. His sin has blinded him. But now that his eyes are opened, he knows he is in big trouble. He is a man of unclean lips. And he's, he's not the only one. He realizes everyone is in the same position. Every person on earth is blind. Is a sinner walking in darkness. Not really in darkness. They're just blinded by their own false worship. How did we get there? The story continues as the angel comes and purifies Isaiah and sends him on his mission. But it's not going to be a mission to turn things around. That will come later. Someone else will bring the light. But Isaiah's job is to proclaim this message to people who have eyes but can't see. People who have ears but can't hear. What's happening? Well, like Psalm 115 says, they have become like their idols. They become what they worship. They have turned into molded dirt without any life. Their idolatry is reverting them back to dust, to the basic elements of creation. But just like the spirit that hovered over the face of the dark waters in the beginning, it, it wouldn't take long for that light to finally speak into that darkness and create life. There has to be something done. The bright light of God's glory can't coexist long with the darkness of the earth. Something will be done. But we're not quite there yet. First, I want us to recognize even the darkness that we live in. We think that we're so much more sophisticated 2,500 years later 
We think that there's no way we could be so easily duped. But we too are just like Isaiah, living in the darkness. It's, it's all around us. The successes, the health, the pleasures of this world are just mere flickers of light off the floating dust particles in the air compared to the glory that we were made to live in. This darkness is evidenced by everything around us being so backwards, just like chapter 5, verse 20 said. You realize how dark this world is? Do you understand how blind those who are apart from Christ are? Consider how much we define words in our world to be exactly opposite of what God says they are. Love is not denying yourself for the eternal good of someone else. It's denying everyone else for my immediate good. Love is not helping others find their greatest satisfaction in God, but making them more comfortable in the darkness. Justice is not judging everybody by the same standard, but taking from some and giving to others based on their status. Or justice is not holding each other accountable to that same standard, but simply assuming everyone is a danger to you and giving them all the punishment. Humanity is not a beautifully designed, resilient reflection of God's character, but a, a weakly evolved machine to be managed or animals to be controlled. These biblical ideas are everywhere, even in our great city with our great Mayo Clinic. Before bringing one of my sons in for a well-child checkup this week, Mayo Clinic asked me, to fill out a questionnaire to tell them how my son would like to be treated, whether as a boy or as a girl, when they come. So, evil is good, good is evil, boy is girl, girl is boy. What's the difference? When we were told that our unborn son has a heart defect, the first recommendation out of the doctor's mouth was that we kill him. A baby isn't a life to be nurtured, but a threat, just the smallest threat of difficulty to our lives means he's an inconvenience to be terminated. Sympathy is not suffering with somebody, but just sending them a message. Science is politics. Fear is concern. Submission is whoever I agree with the most. Social means virtual. Propaganda is rebranded as education. Oppression is sold as protection. Health is the absence of pathogens. Freedom is doing whatever I want. Quarantine is isolating healthy people. Equality is uniformity. Heroism is doing what everyone else is doing. And most insidious of all, red delicious apples are the worst tasting fruit on the planet. They really are. We got a big bag of them this week. They're so gross. (laughs) We live in this dark world where everything is backwards. Some of them are funnier than others. A society that lives in the darkness tries to do something good and then ends up hurting a hundred other things that are good as well. 
We think we're living in the light. We point to our scientific discoveries. We highlight our charitable, charitable work. We emphasize the prosperity that we've brought to everybody else. We feel safe in our darkness, but we are in great danger. God warns us that a large, heavenly army is on its way to destroy our strongholds of false comfort and peace. There's darkness all around us. How are we going to escape? How are we going to get safely out of the basement? Let's go back and remember what God said in chapter 9, verse 2, that we are transformed by the light. It says, The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, deep darkness, on them has light shone. So up until chapter 9, throughout Isaiah's prophecy, there's been very subtle hints of salvation, but it's hard to figure out what it's going to be until chapter 9 gives it more clarity. This great verse that in verses 6 and 7 that we love to speak of every advent of the coming sun, but there's so much beautiful detail here. Verse 1 tells us that the darkness is so heavy, there's dark gloom in the north parts of Israel. That, that's not saying they're greater sinners, they have greater darkness. It's emphasizing that when those armies come, they come down through the north and they destroy everything. Nothing is going to come out of the north to bring salvation. It's wiped clean, it's burned, it's salted, nothing will grow. And yet, that's where the salvation is going to come from. Interestingly, A sprout will come up. The light is going to grow in that darkest place. It's going to become stronger and come down to Jerusalem where it will go out to all the nations. And the Gospels tell us the beautiful story of how Jesus grew up in Galilee and did all of His ministry there in Galilee until He came to Jerusalem to die on the cross, to bear our sins to rise from the dead and pour out His Spirit so we would be sent out to take His light into that darkness. Notice in verse 2 how this light overcomes the world. It's not as though someone was, was feeling their way around in the dark and, oh, I got the switch. Guys, guys, I found it. None of us find God. Somebody has to shine the light on us. Somebody has to open our eyes. We don't find God. We don't find salvation. He finds us. He reaches down into the darkness and grabs a hold of us and puts us, like Isaiah, up into His glorious light. Nobody. Let this be a warning to us. Nobody. Reformed people should be the most aware of this. Nobody can stand uh, above another and speak as though We found it through our own personal prayer and study. As though our own intellect and hard work found this salvation. Nobody can stand over others in judgment and say, what is wrong with them? Why don't they understand it? Why don't they see it as clearly as I do? Apart from God's Spirit shining on us, we are all blind. That's why it's so important to gather as often as possible with other believers. Because I have blind spots. And you have light to shine into my blindness. 
Invite other Spirit-filled believers often into your life to tell you, to give them freedom to tell you when you are wrong. Any of us who have eyes to see the world through the light of Christ now only do so because He has revealed Himself to us. That's what these well-known Advent verses tell us. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. He was given, the light was brought into us, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How can we be sure this will happen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God does it. God sent His Son to be the ruler who from His glorious throne establishes a reign of peace. He's the comforter, the mighty warrior, the loving provider, the light in the darkness. This light will increase forever at the same time that Satan, the prince of darkness, is doing his work to keep people in darkness, to build his reign of confusion, Christ. The Prince of Peace guarantees the light will grow and the gates of darkness will not prevail against it. But Isaiah explains that this light is not going to shine into the darkness through some kind of revolution where we mount up an army to take over the government or even just shouting down judgments upon people as he did. The king is going to shine his light by becoming a suffering servant. Chapters 52 and 53 explain hundreds of years before Jesus ever hangs on the cross in great detail how it is done. This king will arrive announcing good news to people who don't even know they need good news. The darkness has completely taken over them and yet the king comes into the darkness and takes it all upon himself. Look at the imagery he uses in chapter 53. In this final moment of the king's life, Isaiah says, he looked marred beyond recognition. Contrast that with the vision of God he had in chapter 6, where he was beautiful. He says, no, the Son of God on earth had no majesty that we should look at him or beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected. The world in its blindness hid its face from him as though he, the king of light, is the scary monster in the dark. This is what darkness and blindness does to us. It makes us think that God's light is a threat to us. It's dangerous to what we want for our lives. And there's some truth to that, right? It's a danger that exposes the darkness that's still in us. But in hanging on the cross, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. In striking detail, Isaiah looks forward into history, sees Jesus on the cross, and marvels that this is the way the light breaks into the darkness. Jesus takes the punishment for all of the darkness that we have brought into the world so that by His resurrection, He can lift us up out and bring us into His marvelous light. 
And Isaiah sees all of this happening hundreds of years before. Even when the servant dies, the king dies, suddenly he's alive again. Death couldn't hold him back. After this sacrifice, he begins to build this kingdom by revealing himself to his people. And instead of judging them and destroying them, his light transforms them into children of light. By his resurrection, the Savior promises that the light of this world to come will guide us, will hold us fast, will capture our affections and keep us safe until all the darkness of the world passes away and His new creation breaks in and takes over the formless void. Sadly, many will refuse this good news. They continue to close their eyes to His glory and cover their faces and accuse those who are in the light of being dangerous and proud and foolish. Let me tell you that walking in the light is dangerous, but not nearly as dangerous as walking in the dark. Some will be distracted by the dim lights of the world seeking safety in their glow, but many will still come to the light. As long as the light shines in this world, they will come because God is shining His light through you, through His people, redeemed by His Spirit. This is where the light shines most clearly in the world on all of your faces, in all of your songs. We gather to show the world what the light looks like as we serve one another like our King brought light in the world by serving us. And then Christ's resurrection passes on His light to all who believe. Look what Isaiah says near the end in chapter 60. This is our our call. We, We should have sung this song. I think we did last week. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples. But even though the darkness still covers the earth, the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord has risen upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to your brightness of your rising. These visions Isaiah had for the coming king who would bring the light into the darkness now show that the people he has saved are the ones bringing the light to the nations. He calls the church to rise, arise, shine. Jesus says, you are a city on a hill. A city is a bunch of lights that are all brought close together so that those who are wandering around in the darkness can see the brighter. There might be one light over here, but that city up on the hill with hundreds and thousands of lights, that captures my attention. That guides me out of the wilderness to safety. This is the constant flow of the church. We gather together to have our lights inflamed even more as Preaching of the Word shines on you as your voices sing together, as you serve one another and show each other Jesus. And then we scatter to go shine that light out in the world and lead people back to the city on the hill so they too can be built up in the light. If you want to be on mission, 
If you want to say your nursing job or your engineering job or your computer job or whatever, your bellhop job, all the wonderful work that you guys do, your coffee shop work, if you want that to be a a light-filled ministry, it must start with gathering with God's people to have your light glow even brighter. Where you hear the word preach and the promises of God sung by the saints and His comfort felt in the arms of your brothers and sisters. The longer you stay separated from your brothers and sisters in Christ, the harder it becomes to keep your light shining. The brightest way for us to proclaim this light in this darkness, to show that you trust Jesus, is to gather. No matter how much the darkness threatens to harm you. This is our job until He makes all things new. He says again in chapter 60, which Revelation picks up on. This is what we're aiming for. We are looking down a beam of light to a creation to come where the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. We need to recognize the darkness and run in that beam of light. This is my plea for you this Advent season, brothers and sisters. As we celebrate the coming of our King 2,000 years ago, we also help our brothers, focus, brothers and sisters focus on His glorious return. Because the darkness is real. It's pressing in really heavy on my family right now. It's pressing in on many of your homes right now. It's pressing in heavy on our church. We need to recognize the darkness that's afflicting our brothers and sisters. Some of you are so painfully aware of this. As your Mormon family is constantly scheming to pull you back into idolatry. Your former addiction jumps back back into your life as difficulty arises and old friends say, come, hang out with us. Your depression daily makes you feel alone even though there are hundreds of people around you. Your broken childhood makes you wonder who else is going to leave you soon. Your abuser left a dark hole of shame in your heart that you're afraid to let anyone into. Patients all around you are dying, reminding you of the constant threat to our health. Government policies shutting down the only way for you to provide for your family. You walk with a hole in your heart because you miss a child God took away from you. Or you wonder, is today the day that you will have to say goodbye to your son? The darkness is heavy. We plead with the rest of you, don't be deceived by the flickering lights of success and health and pleasure in this world. This world is going to pass away. It's going to be undone as it continues on its decreation path. It will devolve further into darkness until Jesus casts it all into what he calls outer darkness, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, where all those who loved their time in the darkness, who pursued their value and their purpose in the darkness, will pay the wages of their sin. Don't find out too late. 
when he says, depart from me, I never knew you because you were distracted by the passing lights of this world. Run with us in the light. Immerse yourself in the light. The the more you immerse yourself in the light of God's people, the less enamored you will be with what the world boasts in. The less tempted you will be to find comfort in anything the world has to offer. The resurrection promises us a glorious new creation where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sadness or death. Oh, I want that today. I want it right now. And I want to take as many of you with me as I can. I'm just not that interested in making you more comfortable in the darkness. I want to help you out of the darkness and run hard in the lights. Will you run with me? Put behind every pursuit of purpose in the darkness. Immerse yourself in the light of the Word and His people daily, filling your heart with the Scriptures regularly, weekly, more often than that, gathering with other believers so they can shine light into the dark corners of your heart. The more time we spend together in the light, the less we find to disagree on about how things are done in the dark. The less divided we will be. Don't be enamored any longer by the false the fading illusions of this world. Don't be frightened by the very real dangers of this darkness. The safest place for your soul is right with your brothers and sisters in Christ, running hard towards the light of the glorious new creation. Recognize this world's darkness. Let's run together in that light. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you have built up my heart as I wrestled all day yesterday with feelings of inadequacy, with with distractions, with darkness, with fear of what's to come. And you have shown your light through these brothers and sisters. And I am so thankful my heart is finally at rest again. Thank you for for their light that you have shined on them. And I pray that this would grow. It would strengthen and that we would all go from this place carrying your light to invite as many people as possible into the glorious light of your heavenly presence. Make that even more real to us this week. Shine your light more brightly that through our witness, you will overcome the darkness and lead many into your marvelous light in Christ. Amen.